0: Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the final Sixers beat of the playing season, at the very least, even if the season technically goes until July 1st. A devastating end of season. How you doing, Rich?
1: I'm all right, man. It was a a whirlwind 48 hours, though, for us.
0: Uh, Oh, my God.
1: You know, you see this amazing shot, which... Again, all our listeners, sorry. That is one of the most heartbreaking ways to lose I have ever seen. It, that shot completely defied physics, but you see this amazing shot go in, and then eight hours later, you're interviewing players about their summers in another country. Uh,
0: it's <laughs> yeah.
1: it's just like it's all very sudden, and, yeah. uh, you know, obviously – the fact that that occurred in the Game 7 and the Sixers were legitimately close to giving us two more weeks of work on the road in the Eastern Conference Finals. It's just, it, it was quite a swing.
0: Yeah, and quite a swing for the players too. Um, you know, it, it was a reminder, and I wrote about this, but like every great moment in the NBA history, there's just devastation somewhere yep. along with that. Like there's never any clean, great moment. And the Sixers fans haven't really had to suffer through them because they haven't been in very many big moments. Like usually when when their season ends in agony, it's like Joel Embiid getting injured in February, not like getting your heart ripped out in May. So it is a testament that they've made progress to where they can be in this position where Kawhi Leonard can rip out your heart. That might be a little bit of consolation, but... Not much because that was, like you said, there. There isn't going to be a more heartbreaking way. I mean, maybe if it was the NBA Finals, yeah. Maybe if it was the the Ray Allen shot or at least in that shot, which Brett Brown referenced the other day, they had another game to go out there and try to win.
1: And um, and they they, they had the title if he misses that shot. This was, right. you know, I right. mean, it, it still would have been tough sledding, but just the difficulty. I thought it was. It was ironic that. In a series that I thought was defined by the Sixers daring some of the Raptors' weaker shooters to make open threes, and they just wouldn't... Not only could they not do it, by the end of the series, they wouldn't do it. They would just... That That Game 7, there were there were guys that were straight up afraid to shoot, and that's how Kawhi Leonard takes 39 shots. Uh, the toughest shot he's taken all series is the one that sends them home, and I... So, so not only does Embiid get a great contest. There's a couple things I, I, I want to talk about on that shot. There is a good still photo of of Leonard is basically in a crouch, looking at the shot because again it bounced on the rim four times, so he he really could get in position. Embiid is smiling, looking at that shot because he thinks it's off. Like he's like, I got a great contest on that. This guy is more of a, a flat arc on his shot. Like I made him put that way up in the air. And then it goes in, and it was, I think I think you said it, It's that was the Vince Carter shot, except it went in, and man, that, yep. was, that was payback for 2001 and then some.
0: Yeah, and it really, I mean, when Joel closed out, I'm like, he's blocking that. There's no way Vince, or there's, <laughs> Vince, there's no way Kawhi is getting that shot off, and if Kawhi had shot his normal trajectory, he wouldn't have gotten that shot off. He really did have to modify his release in the arc. And then it, it's in the air, and I'm like, there's no way. It's sure. coming up a foot short. Yes. There's no way. And it hit the rim. There's no way. And then the second bounce off the front of that rim, or at least the front in relation to the shooter, and it, it, it goes to that back, and you're like, oh, my God. And then it just it took forever. And for a Sixers fan, that was agonizing, and you're sitting there and just in stunned silence. And from the time the, – so Kawhi shot it with just about exactly a half a second left on the on the clock. To the time it went through the basket, it was about four seconds. I timed it out. It was four seconds of just pure nobody had any idea what emotion to show as that was going on. It was one of the most incredible ways to end a series. And you're you're just sorry that everyone listening to this podcast, or at least I assume everyone listens to this podcast, maybe there's a Raptors fan, um, you know, trying to relive the glory from their perspective. But everyone listening to this podcast was just devastating and it was you know, it was it was it was one of those moments that will never be forgotten in NBA history. Um, yeah. Like Joe Car- like Joe Carter's home run, you 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 wish you could forget about it, but you can't. But it is certainly, you know, Brett spent a lot of time yesterday talking about how it's something to learn from and to build off of. But I'm still sitting here thinking, like you and I should be in Milwaukee. Like that that series was right there for the taking, not just for that shot, not just even for Game Seven but there were a number of times they could have executed it and gotten through this series. You know, I think we'll we'll, we'll all go to um, game four specifically as a a game they should have won and how they shouldn't have even gotten to seven. But my big takeaway is they're right there. And that is a Toronto team. I know people, we like to do this thing in analysis where we say, well, who's got the best four or five players. And, And that's like the way that we now think of team building and team quality. That's a real legit, like, they they have a, I I would pick Milwaukee as a favorite to win that series, but Toronto has a shot. Like, that is a team with a, that's a legit Eastern Conference championship contender team that they took the seven games. And if Joel Embiid isn't sick, or if Tobias Harris doesn't go two for 13, or if Joel Embiid, you know, isn't still hurt by that knee, I think you have a chance to talk that we're, you know, we're talking about Eastern Conference final right now. And it's tough because, you know, so much of the narrative is determined by what happens. Like Toronto, the 18 years between Vince Carter's shot and that one, like how different would that have been if Vince Carter's shot went in? How, how differently would we look at the AI era if Vince Carter's shot went in? AI had nothing to do with that final play. It was Tyrone Hill and Vince Carter, but like those little bounces, those, those inches really define how we feel about a team. Yeah. And like we always say, like take a step back. I still think there's a lot to be optimistic of with this team going forward. And a disappointing result can still end up in optimism to some degree.
1: When you look at the swing from Toronto's standpoint, it's just it's maybe the greatest moment in their franchise history. If he misses and they lose in overtime, which was a real possibility, um, it's Kawhi played the greatest series ever. He's going to leave because we couldn't win in the second round. When he tried to drag us across the finish line, it's just, yeah, the the margins were, were that thin right right here. I think in you know again, it's like you said, there were so many things throughout the series, and you know Embiid's health and effectiveness are obviously a huge part of it. Uh, you could just go to Game Seven too; those three offensive rebounds, which unfortunately I rewatched them, uh. They were all Ben Simmons' fault. They took him off Leonard at the end of the game, and he played really good defense in Game 7 against Leonard. But when when the Raptors went to that big lineup with Abaca, Siakam, and Gasol, Ben Simmons forgot how to box out. He just didn't do it. And it didn't kill the Sixers on a couple of those possessions, but, I mean, one of them, Abaka got the rebound, and it ended up being a Kawhi kick-out three that he made. When he lose by two, that... That stinks. Uh, those three possessions that uh, that came up empty. I know a lot of people were giving Brett Brown some uh, some flack about that. I thought one of those in particular wasn't a good call. One of those was the same vanilla spread pick and roll that they ran the entire fourth quarter basically. I thought that was the second one. Jimmy Butler didn't do a good enough job on that. He took too long. He was dribbling. Um, you know, it was something that they had gotten good looks out of. And then I think the other one w- was kind of the, you know, it, it was a dribble handoff for Redick. It was very much a play that they've run a lot during the season, during the last two years, and it's one they've had success against the Raptors. And credit, uh, you know, it, as much as Marcus Gasol and Kyle Lowry were afraid to shoot, they were physical as all get-out. Yep. in the uh, Down the stretch, they played championship Game 7 level defense. So credit to those guys, and yeah, it still stinks from the Sixers' perspective because to go three possessions without a shot down the stretch was, was pretty rough. But uh yeah, it's it, it's a tough loss. That was a very winnable game, and it, uh, it stinks that it had to end for, from the Sixers' perspective on that standpoint, but re- really th- there were chances to win it a lot earlier.
0: Oh, for sure, for sure. And I mean, it was... Yeah, almost. It's a weird spot. Like uh, you and I both have sort of the instinct where, when the game's over, we go, "Okay, well, how do we analyze that? Like, what were the key turning points? Why did they lose that game?" Doesn't matter. It doesn't. It, it doesn't matter. There's nothing to prepare for for the next game. And also, it's it's much more a human interest story at that point. And so I don't want to get too deep into the game because yeah. I've, it, it's 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 borderline irrelevant. Like, and and you give a, Toronto a lot of credit. They really did play incredible defense like all game long. Their
1: ball denial just one yeah. to five from Gasol denying Embiid on the block to got Siakam. You couldn't get a pass by him. Lowry chased Redick better than anybody I've ever seen. It was it was very impressive on the defensive end from them.
0: Yeah, um, but I mean, I mean well, but it's it's we'll have all summer to pick apart the team's efficiency. All right, let's move on to Brett Brown who, before Game 7, the New York Times reported that, wouldn't really call it a a full report, it was more like the sense around the league, and also with, I think he said he had two sources with the team, or he said that after the fact, um, that he didn't believe that Brett Brown would survive a second-round defeat. Then the Sixers obviously came out lost in the second round, Game 7. And for really a solid 48-hour period, there was a lot of speculation about what, whether that was the last time that Brett Brown would coach his team, and much of the uh, much of the day after exit interviews for the players was geared towards their thoughts around Brett and whether or not he should be on the hot seat. Um, Joel Embiid with the
1: didn't feel like they all knew.
0: No, I certainly don't think that they knew. Um, Joel Embiid calling it bullshit, um, basically said lay the blame on me. Uh, every, pretty much every every starter to a T. Back Brett and then the day after or I think later that night around 11 o'clock at night uh, ESPN Adrian Wojnarowski, with the report that Brett Brown will be back for the next season um, and he has I think three years left on his contract through the 2021-22 season obviously that doesn't mean he will be here for three years and Joshua Harris declined to guarantee that he would see out his contract which rightfully so um, n- there's no guarantee that any coach will be around, with the exception of maybe Greg Popovich, and he leaves on his own terms. But outside of that, there's no guarantee that any coach will be around in three years, but that he would be here for next season. So I guess we'll start off there. Thoughts on Brett Brown, whether or not he should have the chance to coach this next season. I know that everyone listening to this probably already knows where we stand on that issue, but
1: go. Well, I, look, I didn't. You know, we could talk about how it was handled and and our problems with that, but look kudos to the sixers for getting it right
0: they ultimately i think made the right decision yep
1: so and that you know as much as we uh can gripe about kind of letting it it be unknown until after the season and and you know the fact that harris and brett said that he knew before the toronto series i mean if that is true i i just feel like you could have handled that better it's okay it doesn't matter you got it right and yeah, he he deserves to be back. I think Redick made the point that that we have also made, but but it's it's true. Who were you hiring instead? Like you've seen who the Lakers are going after. Uh, you know, Frank Vogel was like their fourth choice. You know, some of those names were super uninspiring. They certainly weren't automatic upgrades over Brett Brown. I, I would argue they they weren't upgrades at all. And then that's not even before you factor in kind of the history that that Brown has with these players and this team. um, Yeah, he deserved to be back. The Honestly, you know, we, we said it at the beginning of the series. If they were able to take it six or seven, we'd be kind of impressed by that. And yeah. that's not all on the coach. I think the players were better than I thought. I thought, in particular, Butler was way better. You know, he, he was dominant in a couple of those games. And, you know, he deserves the credit. For that, but I thought Brown honestly, for the most part, did a better job than Nurse. I mean, it was probably pretty close to even. It took it took Nurse six games to put Kawhi on Jimmy. Uh, that it seems like that should have happened earlier. But I, I thought it was a good playoffs for Brett. And uh, you know, this team really didn't have a lot of time to gel, as we all know. Ten games in the regular season. I believe in the playoffs, they ended up playing more minutes together. That that five-man unit than the regular regular season uh, they were again excellent I think they were the best five-man unit over you know 150 minutes or whatever despite playing Toronto who was the second best so they they were awesome uh, and yeah I just think it's it was pretty simple like I would imagine next year if if they are able to bring all of these guys back and let's say there is some player movement that makes kind of the path to the conference finals and the NBA finals a little bit clearer that there will be like legitimate pressure under Brett. But basically it would have been insane to fire him now after the job he had done and with no specifically with no good other solutions. Uh, So good for them for getting that right.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, this, this starting lineup against the Toronto lineup, which is Really good. Like the um the I think the Lowry Green, Leonard, and Siakam lineup with Valanciunas, which was a higher minute one of the two, was like a plus twenty one net rating in the regular season. You put in Marcus Sol, it was still like a plus twelve or thirteen in, in more limited time. This was a really good starting five. They were going up. And a six or starting five in the series when they were on the court was a plus eight point seven. That's an incredible output. Considering the opposition. And considering I mean, Embiid was not nearly he was at 100%. garbage offensively, yeah. yeah. Outside of Game 3, he was not a factor offensively for most of the series. And in, in Game 4, um, was Game 4 the one that they got blown out? Game 5. The game that they got, Game 5, he was not good defensively either, which is something you're not counting on most nights. Like, you're, you're counting on him even when he's immobile relative to his normal mobility. You're counting on him to really anchor your defense, and he wasn't able to do that that game. So he was not a typical Joel Embiid, and they were still solidly and pretty consistently outplaying their counterpart, which is one of the better starting fives in the Eastern Conference, probably the second or the third best starting five in the Eastern Conference. So they played well, and it's super reductive to say that this series was lost because of the Sixers' backup center spot. But this series was really lost because of the Sixers' backup <laughs> center spot. Like, the fact that they outscored Ugh, the Raptors man. by 90 points – in the um, time that Joel Embiid was on the court, and I think like 230-something minutes, they outscored the Raptors by 90 points. That is insane to then still lose that series. Even more insane is being outscored by 109 points in 99 minutes that Joel Embiid was on the bench. That's 109 points. That's like saying, let's say there's four games in a regular season, and Embiid plays in two games, sits in the other two because he's injured. It's like saying the Sixers won by 20 points per game in the games that Joel Embiid played, and lost by 50 points per game in the two games he didn't play. Like that is astronomical. And the easiest way to read that is that Joel Embiid is great, and he is, even if he didn't play great offensively in this series.
1: And if you give and if you give him an opposition where he can guard somebody without being worried about their three-point shooting, he is even better. Like
0: complete game changer defensively. Yeah, absolutely. Sixers' entire defense relies on him. But that number is as much reflective of the other four starters playing well around him, which, for the most part, they did, or at least at times during the series, each of them did, and having absolutely no ability to replace Embiid off the bench. Like that speaks very highly to a team playing well, but that can be completely taken advantage of when Greg Monroe or Boban is on the court. And this is not like this is not revisionist history. Like we all win in the playoffs. Like these guys cannot play beyond the net series. Like this is going to kill you. And did I expect losing by twelve points in three minutes in game seven when Embiid's on the on the bench? No, I didn't expect to be that bad. But these were all very predictable problems, which is part of the reason why it was a little bit crazy to go in with an NBA finals or bust mentality. Like you don't make these trades for Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris for this season because you're not ready to do that yet. And part of that, like I give them a little bit of leeway because I think Last summer, they and even if they came up empty, I think they should have been star hunting. Like that part of their development with a 22 year old Simmons and a 25 year old Embiid was to get that third and fourth star. That was the goal for this period of the of the rebuild or, or now of the build, and they did that. Part of that is that's going to cost you depth. That's going to cost you role players that you can specifically target to be useful. And they tried to, you know, after not getting the LeBron James in free agency, they tried to pivot. And what what they tried to pivot into failed. And that's certainly, like, you can criticize them, and we will and we have. But if you're going to say your job is on the line if you don't make the NBA Finals – then you can't go in there with Boban Marjanovic as your best backup center. You can't make a Markel Fultz trade and get Jonathan Simmons and Picks in return. If you want to say that the expectation and the only acceptable outcome is a trip to the finals, first of all, it's ridiculous because even great teams, you know, even, even the San Antonio Spurs only win it in, you know, five times in third only five times in however many year run that they had. Like there's still many years. You're not going to make that, but if you're going to have that kind of crazy expectations, you have to give them the bullets. And that's beyond just the top five, the starting five that includes, you know, it's hard to walk that line of getting, you know, you can't prioritize a second round pick from the Cavs or whoever they got the pick from in the Markel Fultz trade. You have to prioritize depth. Like you can't, having that kind of expectation that job saving expectation and also then having Boban and Jonathan Simmons being key acquisitions they're 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 not they don't align with each other
1: when you're looking at Brett by the way how about uh Bill Simmons tweet in the middle of the game oh my god when he's like and beat ground. he's played 33 of 36 minutes is Brett Brown taking crazy pills it's like dude watch the series they're getting killed like literally the second he hits the bench i mean it, the my fa- favorite
0: part like so game 6
1: um
0: which they they won but he he but i think boban was negative 20 in the first half in like 4 minutes it was really impressive like, just absurd yeah they didn't they literally didn't score a point in those 4 minutes and 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 got outscored by 20 so he's like okay i'm going to go small brings in mike scott five quick points in 1 minute Boom, that's it. And plays for the remainder of the uh, of the competitive portion of that game. And like they literally couldn't sit and beat a minute in game six while holding a twenty point lead without being worried that they were going to give it up. And it ended up costing them a flagrant foul, which if this run had been extended could have been important. But like when people were like, Well, why do you have Embiid in on a twenty point lead with six minutes to go? It's like did you, you watch w-
1: are you watching the, other, the game? Like-, like if you lose, you go home.
0: Right, right, right. You can't worry about a flagrant foul at that point. Um, Uh, It's
1: it's crazy. But it was just – It was was maddening. You just can't win when it comes to that. And, look, the good news for the Sixers is that a decent backup center, if it is a big priority for them, should be pretty affordable in the offseason. And, you know – we. I kind of wrote about this a little bit in my article today. Go subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't. Uh, there's tweet, tweet at me, email, whatever. There's a 40% off code anywhere you can find it. Um, I wrote about it today. Not only did the Raptors have home court in this series, but they had a healthier superstar. And it, from all the things we can look back at, I, I think the handling of Kawhi Leonard and Embiid at the beginning of the season is just massive man. The Raptors were super precautionary. I think I think I had the stat where at the time Embiid grumbled about his post touches after Brett had the gall to sit him down after he was like collapsing on the floor in Toronto, uh Kawhi had played six less games than him. Basically the same amount of minutes per game. I'm not saying that they have to go completely on the Kawhi plan, but they need to be a lot closer to that than what they did. And the good news is, after the uh, after the exit interviews, Beat admitted it. He was like, "Look, we, I, I've got to be smarter. We got to do this differently. I've talked to not only the the medical staff, um, I've talked to guys around the league, and we're 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 going to be a lot, you know, better with this next year. That better be the case because there's no excuse not to be." This team has one job, and that is to get that guy healthy on April fifteenth and ready to go. And they didn't do it this year. And uh, I, I think he, you know, as we've often talked about, his stubbornness in this regard is certainly a big part of the picture here. But there are no more excuses. They need to figure that out. And it, it does not have to be the Kawhi plan. It does not have to be that extreme. But he should not be leading the minutes a month, or leading the league in minutes a month into the season.
0: Yeah, and to his credit he did like he was asked whether or not he would take a different approach to staying healthy and you know he said, you know, for sure and he said we've we already talked about it uh looking at the way that Toronto managed Kawhi. He said that most of the time I feel bad because I I feel like I let everybody down by not playing, but if you see that guys can step up and Toronto was what? I think 17 and 5. That's when Leonard missed those games. Yeah, that's
1: um, part of it. It's it's not only like you know, Part of the reason he wants to play is because he's like, oh, my God, look at the backup centers that are going to have to play instead of me tonight. Like, right. We have no and chance and to earlier win. Earlier
0: in the season, it was like, oh, my God, we have Dario Saric instead of Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler. So maybe this season it's an easier sell, both because of how the end of the season played out and he had this tendonitis that he, he really can't fix or manage without rest, but also because there's more talent around him and, and for the love of God, get a center who's capable of playing in the modern NBA, um, there was that brief period early in the season where it looked like Greg Monroe might actually be useful, and he was, um, but ne- then Greg Monroe turned back into a pumpkin, and that, that's really maybe the turning point of that series. Yeah. So they really need to prioritize. There's there's no player in the league who you would be more concerned about scaling up his minutes to 45 a night than Joel Embiid, and the fact that they if like 45 minutes was too few, um, that has to be addressed, and I get it's going to be a hard sell for a, a, a big man, like, hey, come back play behind Joel Embiid for, you know, 15 minutes a night. Um, so you're, you're going to have to find somebody who's capable of playing the four if for no other reason you can sell him on some additional minutes. But that has to be a priority. And I don't think, as much as Jonah Bolden is intriguing, I don't think you can rely on him figuring out what he has to figure out that quickly. For If this was 2013 and you were worried about developing players, yes, but this is now 2019-20 and you're worried about winning an NBA championship, that has to be addressed.
1: Yeah, I think Jonah is fine as the third center, and you, you can give him some chances, maybe as the backup, you know, during those games. But you need a, a more reliable player in that spot. Would you say, by the way, you know, these, these exit interviews, it's its hard to know what to make of them. I, we already discussed the context of how quickly it is after the season. I thought Embiid was super impressive yesterday. Um Yeah. I thought everything yep. he said, I was like, man. I'm on board with this guy, you know, and this obviously comes on the heels of him <laughs> bawling on national TV. Poor guy. Uh, Which you know,
0: I heard some some people criticize that, like, grow up, like if a guy if the fact that he has that kind of emotion, I think, is great. And you should embrace that. And he should be more than capable, more than able to express that. However he wants and I would prefer my players to be emotional rather than emotionless. Unless it's Kawhi and he's a robot and he's the exception. But showing emotion is in no way as long as it's uh respectable respectful, um,
1: do what you do, Joel. Do what you do. Kawhi is unbelievable, but I mean, just from an entertainment standpoint, give me give me a beat any day of the week. Come on, man. Like I we fo- we follow these guys day in and day out. Uh, not every game is, is a do or die where you need a robot killer, uh, to, to send you to the next round. G- give me Jojo any day of the week, trolling and showing emotion and having fun. By the way, the the Raptors taking so much offense to him, windmill, dun- or like the fans and, and Drake and airplane. all these people to so the airplane thing. Hey, how about you don't let him windmill dunk down, down the lane in a game? Like I've never seen that before. Uh, where a seven foot two guy gets to just walk down the lane and windmill dunk it. Like that was not a big deal. Anyway, that's, that's getting off topic a little bit, but yeah, I've been, I don't know. I just thought everything he said about, look, I got to get better. uh, You know, as much as people say, get your butt down in the post, I need to be more than a post player. I need to figure out some other ways to score. Um, I thought what he said about Brett was just a great example of like, he's the most powerful guy in the organization. And when do you use that power? And th- that isn't to say that his uh, his comments are what kept Brett around, but they sure didn't hurt. Yeah. And uh, I I think, you know, earlier in the season, you know, I, I mentioned in Detroit when and, – and also the Christmas game in Boston, remember, when he was complaining about post-touches, when it was really kind of asinine. Like it was – you know, I understand why you were frustrated, but it was like – you look at the numbers they're the exact same and that put a lot of heat on Brett and we we were pretty hard on him back then and it's 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 kind of the it's the same idea it's like i think i think reddick said it in a jackie mcmullen article you can say whatever the f you want but should you right. and in this scenario i was i don't know i was i was very impressed by by what he said um and you know moving forward right or wrong you know his words are going to carry so much weight. And, uh, I thought, you know, a- after what was a tough series, it's how crazy is it that, you know, he, as you said, he stunk offensively. Stunk. But can you really criticize him when the team was just awful? When yeah. he didn't play? Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird thing we have going on here, which I think everybody knows at this point. But, uh, I don't know. I was very encouraged by what he said yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. and I do think he's gonna let it fuel him moving forward too if uh if this team is ultimately a champion I think we're we're certainly gonna look back at this moment as just like you know th- these are the bumps and bruises young play- young players have to go through you know it's it's not often that that teams can just win a championship right away they need to learn some painful lessons and that yeah that certainly no, was very,
0: very few. 22 and 25 year olds win an NBA championship in their second year. In the postseason another reason why a championship or bus mentality allegedly from the uh from management and ownership was a little bit unrealistic also because there's a lot of really good freaking teams in the Eastern Conference which we said coming in um I still do think that Embiid and Simmons if you're looking at how can this team get to a championship level and clearly you need to improve the bench like the as good as tim duncan and manu ginobili and tony parker were like you need bruce bowen you need robert Ory, you need malik rose you need those kind of role players and that is that's going to be a key but also like joel Embiid needs to improve his three-point shot he needs to get in a better shape he needs to manage his body better and that includes taking these off in the regular season uh, and i think those are all doable for joel like i, I feel confident in his work ethic and not that I don't feel confident in Ben's, but that's a lot easier of a, you know, easier of a step to make than it is for the next guy we'll talk about, which is that jump shot from Ben. And, you know, he was asked about it. Um, you know, do you? Yes, he was. <laughs> he didn't answer much about it. Uh, How much do taking shots matter? It's important. It's very important. How are you going to work on it? Repetition. Do you need more than five shots from the perimeter to be successful? Yes. Uh, and that was. The extent of him expanding on how much he needs a jump shot, uh, which I don't take to mean he doesn't believe he needs a jump shot. I take him to believe that he doesn't like answering questions, really in general, but very specifically about the jump shot. And that is his right. Like, I don't personally care if a guy is pretty bad with the media. Um, That's not going to influence... What I say about his likelihood of being great or improving his skill set, I think he—I think he could do better to buy himself the benefit of the doubt, not from us because we don't really matter, but from the, the fans. So I wouldn't—if I was his publicist, I wouldn't recommend that strategy. But he clearly does not like answering questions about that topic. The questions are going to come down to whether or not you believe he will get that jump shot, and I think we have to be real honest like he needs that jump shot and i don't really care about his individual scoring like i don't even care about him running pick and roll or or initiating too much from the half court like i think they have enough talent whether it's in bead post-ups butler pick and rolls harris attacking a closeout or a pick and roll like they have other options in the half court they need simmons to not make those guys lives more difficult and they need a really what i'm talking about here is like an 18 foot baseline jumper all series long, Kawhi was on him in the dunker spot, and he was really willing to roam off of him and help out in the paint whenever he could. And at times, specifically in Game 6, you know, Simmons found creases to sort of make him pay for that, but far too often it was it was, it was was hurting their half-court offense. So he's going back. He's spending the summer working with his brother, uh, Liam. And, you know, I think a lot of people are going to question whether or not that's the right move. And I don't question whether or not his brother knows what he's doing. Like, and I think we said this last year, like, he's a real legit basketball coach. Um, and he, you know, he earned that position. Uh, he's coached with college teams. Like, he knows what he's doing. The question is whether or not he is the right one to get through to Ben and whether or not he's too close to the situation to maybe hold him accountable or push him or, or or whether or not maybe Ben's a little too comfortable with that arrangement and you know, Brett who's known both of them for a very long time doesn't see it that way. And I would expect both Brett to say that and also Brett to believe that. Uh, and in some ways, I think there is an argument that maybe his brother knows him best and can push him best. And Ben who's, you know, I, I think it was Redick who, what do he say? Like a walled garden, like he lives behind a, a glass mirror. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe somebody close to him could speak more freely with him. But it would be a lot easier to buy that if we had seen that work from last summer turn into legitimate on-court results this year. And there's no other way to look at his shooting right now in the three years since he's been drafted. And I realized he was injured one of those years, but it was a lower body injury. He could still work on his form. There's no way to look at the three years he's been drafted and not be disappointed in his jump shot. And I've said this many times. Like I think some people look at that and say, oh, he doesn't work hard. He doesn't care to be great. I don't. I don't buy that like somebody who went from playing no defense at LSU with the pedigree he had to come in and become a lockdown defender. Like I think that shows desire and want and competitiveness, but whether or not he's willing to make the fundamental changes to his shooting form that I think he has to make to be able to do that in game action. I'm not sure. And it's, I think it's very fair to be disappointed.
1: Definitely don't mind the brother really at all, because I, I do think, you know, some people do need to realize like shooting coaches there's no um there's no PhD in shooting a basketball. Th- these guys don't come from like the same spot. Like there isn't a, a specific training, you know, a w- way to become an NBA shooting coach. Although it's funny. Kyle and I have talked about this, and I actually think this is a good idea. They should offer – what's what's his name? The Spurs guy, Chip England. They should offer him $30 Everything. million. Yep. Yeah, yep. Uh, That's probably not going to happen, obviously. But, uh, it, you know, also, it, I need to read back uh, some of the uh, comments Brad made yesterday, but it sounds like they might make some changes to their own shooting staff, who Simmons works with, you know, during the season – Along with his brother, um, yeah, it, you know, it, this subject. I think for a while, you want to take the somewhat contradictory viewpoint. Oh, it's fine. He can he can figure out some ways and some creases and and look at all the other things he does. Uh, no, he needs to have a shot. Like this is getting ridiculous at this point. And I mean, you could just see it in the, in that fourth quarter. They ran, I think, probably ten Embiid Butler pick and rolls, and they had Redick and Harris in the corner, and they had Ben in the dunker spot, and it just it just mucks things up, man. It's Embiid it, had a really nice move. I don't know when it was. It was with like four minutes left. He made a really nice kind of euro step move that was under control, like unlike some of his drives, and it was like a little flip shot, and it just rolled off the rim. But if you watch it, he has to step around Simmons' man, too. It's so much easier if he's just trying to beat Gasol to to the rim. And, you know, there there are all these debates. Is he a point guard? Can he play center? What about power forward? Get him in the – make him a role man and all these things. It doesn't matter what position he plays. Any position in the modern NBA where they don't respect you from the perimeter at all, and you don't even look to shoot from the perimeter. That hamstrings the offense. And I, look, I, it's a tall task, like you said. Like I, it's not a thing where it's like, just shoot it. You, you know, um, coward. Coward. Yeah, I, I didn't want to say it because I.
0: <laughs> you don't want to give Boston their their do to...
1: No, because uh, because his form is really kind of jacked up and I'm
0: completely jacked up.
1: You know, as, as we said, his elbow flares out, their side spin on the ball. Sometimes he shoots on the way down. Um, but uh, so I don't know exactly what the fix is. I know, I know, there are millions of people screaming. Not millions of people, because there's probably like hundreds of people listening. But a decent amount of them are saying, "Oh, whoa whoa whoa,
0: whoa, 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 whoa! We have more than hundreds of people. Come on now."
1: All right, I'm rolling. Just let me go. Here. <laughs> uh, they're saying shoot with the with the opposite hand. I I don't know how feasible that is. That's to me, that's not an obvious fix either. Even if I do kind of agree with some of the evidence there, uh, they need to figure something out though, because rich. what?
0: Well, I I mean we we don't like giving out numbers, but hundreds of people like if there's an advertiser listening, to that that's gonna look bad. Like no, we'll take your money, and the number is definitely in the five digits. So just calm down, calm down, hundreds. Well, I'm, I'm distraught now. The rest of this podcast is ruined. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: Well, who cares about Ben Simmons for him? Let's just let's just <laughs> let's just talk about our, our numbers here. I don't know, man. I haven't slept much over the past couple of days. Uh. Anyway, it's it's a problem. Like a like guy like I was saying, it's you're looking for the kind of nuanced take. No, the, the take is it's a problem. And until he starts figuring some of this out, we are going to be having the same conversation about this every year.
0: Yeah, I mean it's 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 both sides are true. Like he is a very good player who can dominate a game without scoring twenty points and, and he does a lot of things really well. And also his lack of shooting really makes it tough to execute against these elite defenses. And you know, I think we said that coming into this season and his lack you know, he said, Don't expect me to shoot threes and we said, Okay, but like give us something from the mid range, give us something some sign of progress. Nothing. Brett's gonna cling to like a four percent increase in free throw shooting nonsense. <laughs> like, there was no progress. <laughs> Uh, and that needs to change. You need and, to shoot,
1: and, and you need to shoot in other situations besides LeBron standing literally under the basket.
0: Right. You know, my least favorite conversation. I'll oh, move him off ball. No, like you said, those problems still exist. Anyone who is the opposition knows won't shoot is going to drag down your offense, and he needs to. He needs to fix that. And I hope the hundreds of people listening to this realize that.
1: Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds Jesus. of people listen. Jesus, Christ.
0: Adam, they all add up. <laughs> um all right, we don't want to get too deep into Tobias and Jimmy and into their future, but a real quick, do you think they return next season?
1: Oh, so just the, the most important question.
0: Um just the most important and we'll we'll try to keep it quick since we're getting up there in time.
1: I don't have any feel for it, man. Uh I, I don't know what they're thinking. I think they should bring them both back.
0: I think I think I think they will. Uh and that's not like you know, that's not, I'm not reporting anything. Um, this is sort of common sense, but looking at the way they relied upon Jimmy down the stretch, unless something crazy happens like Clay or Katie or Kawhi is like, yeah, I want to join that core and and, and form a new super team, which I don't expect to happen, but I guess is probably about as good of a shot percentage wise as Kawhi's shot going in. So who knows? Um, but barring, barring a miracle like that, you know, I think they're going to look at it and Jimmy Butler for all of the concerns. Uh, and, I, you know, I think people are going to look at these last few months and be like, well, there's no concerns now, and that's not really how the world works. Um, I think Jimmy was on his best behavior, but, you know, I think there's some degree where you, is he going to be happy with his role, with his, his teammates, with, with, with everything that goes into there? And for as much concern as there might be for the final year or two of that contract, then that might be the bigger concern, Um, and that concern is definitely there. It's huge. What he brings on the basketball court is something they have almost no ability to replace and something that they desperately need in terms of the scoring, the driving, the pick and roll play, secondary shot creation, two-way player. Like, they need that. And he showed up in a playoffs and he showed that he can still provide that to a high degree.
1: He was an absolute monster in a lot of these playoff games. Game game two and game six of this series, he was fantastic. And yeah, I think it's like you said, the... uh, Man, I am super worried about that age 33 and age 34 season. But look, I mean, if you're trying to win now, unless one of those, you know, home run free agents shows up here, you're not doing better than this guy.
0: Right. And once you do that, once you commit to him or even once you don't renounce him, then your ability to replace Tobias Harris and J.J. Redick is almost nil. So then you're sort of boxed into a corner. And even if you might be worried about Tobias Harris and whether or not he's gonna have the opportunity here on the Sixers to be worth that money, you you would be you know, you're not gonna replace that with the mid level exception. So I think you're sort of boxed in. I think it'll mostly come down to whether or not Tobias and Jimmy agree, whether or not they wanna be here. Um and you know, I think you can clearly make the argument that this is their best chance to win. But I think a lot of players will look at it. You know, I think we we in the media and as fans look at it as do you want to win or do you want the ball? And I don't think these high-level players view it in the same way. Like, I think Jimmy could look at it and be like, well, you know, Clippers played well against Golden State. They have good depth. They have max cap slots. I can go out there, be the number one option, and still compete. And maybe Tobias looks at it and is like, look, Brooklyn made the playoffs, had pieces. I can go home, be the number one option or at least close to it, and still compete. So you've got to convince them that not only can you compete, but, like, we're on the doorstep. We took a contender to the brink, and if you come back and we play more than 10 games together and we have a training camp and a preseason and we have more depth, like, this is your best shot. And Elton Brand and the Sixers are going to have to make that sales pitch. And if they do, then I – right now, and a lot can change here in the next month and a half, but right now I think that you'll probably see them try to bring them back.
1: They should, man. They were. It's like I kind of said at the beginning. If you just kind of look at the the landscape of the league, what the hell is Boston going to look like next year?
0: What the hell is Toronto going to look
1: like? Let's say Toronto loses in six. Kawhi could be out. I mean, God, if they win the, this series and lose in the finals, he could be out. Uh, seems like you know, there's there's obviously been a lot of uneasiness up there about whether he's going to stay or not. Um. What happens to Golden State, you know, in terms of winning a title? If Durant comes East, I think it's probably, you know, there's no super team anymore. Um, the Sixers might be the closest thing to the, to a super team if they can keep all of these guys. So, yeah, I, I think just in general we'll get into it a lot more as, uh, as these next couple of months goes on. But to me the goal should be to bring all of these guys back because they are pretty close.
0: Yep. No, I, I looked at the trades as – you got them not to win a title this year. And I, I said this at the time. This isn't looking back and um, just, justifying a second-round exit. But I always looked at it as you got these guys – you had to get these guys not because you thought this is our one year to win a title but because they made sense as long-term pieces. And I say that bring them back not as a sunk cost because you gave up what you did but because when they were on the court, they played well together. And I think there's still room to grow. And I think there's room to build this team with those guys on the court, and it's going to be up to Josh Harris um, to pay that luxury tax bill, which is going to come and is going to come hard. It's going to be up to the Sixers to find creative ways to find complementary pieces with the limited resources that they will have. But I think they showed you enough that this is the best path to being a really great team. Uh, so we will see what they do. We'll have a lot to talk about this summer. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on. We do apologize. It was over a week since we did our last podcast. Travel in the second half of an NBA playoff series is crazy. Um, It's pretty much game day travel, game day travel, game day travel. So we apologize for not being able to get more to you. We hope you maybe enjoyed the written content a little bit in the meantime. But thank you, Rich, for jumping on. Thank you to the
1: hundreds hundreds and hundreds of listeners
0: who stuck with us throughout the season. And we will talk to you soon.
1: See you, man. That I attract clientele. My mic check is like or death breathing a sniper's breath. I exhale the yellow smoke of Buddha through righteous
0: steps.